telling where you'll end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. How did we end up back here? We really need to find that church. Let's go see Allegra. Maybe she knows some directions. Blessed day to you both. Allegra, how were you out of the house? It's all of that hard work you have been up to. With the seals out of the enemy's possession, I gain more freedom. That's fantastic. Here are some of the others. I'll set them on this table. You are both such generous beings. I hope the stories are to your satisfaction. Ah, they are delectable. Divine, some might say. Perfect additions to my realm. I'm happy to hear it. Allegra, we need your help. The area is constantly shifting. We need a direct route to the church. We've just found out that Alexander is responsible for many of the townsfolk's death. He burned them alive in the church. We've been sending people there that we find. We need to get there as soon as possible. Yes. Alexander is very much a servant of the High Priestess. Why didn't you tell us about this? There are some things you need to learn on your own. Besides, he does not remember what he did. His mind is fractured. Even so, we must ensure that all is well. Very well. Follow the sign outside of the edge of the wood. It will take you there. Thank you. And remember, it isn't always black and white, good and evil. Binaries are for the weak of mind. Don't fall prey to this thinking. Be open to other possibilities. We understand, Allegra. But burning innocent women, men and children certainly falls into one specific category. Yes, it does. Thank you. We must go. Be well. It's all about perspective. What would you do? Written by James Harvey. Narrated by Grant Patrizio. It seemed like it had always been raining. Sally and I stared at the pelting meteorite-like droplets impacting the window in front of our faces, reducing the world beyond to gray oblivion. Mother had been gone since we awoke. The house had everything we needed for good, wholesome activities. Bicycles, tennis rackets, plastic sailing ships, kites, 
all things that needed clear skies and some measure of motivation. And sconed in the gray, cold day, we sat in our matching chairs by the front window and stared out. I had once read the word malaise on a note from Mother's desk, written on a slip of charred paper in her crabbed hand, and knew that was what I was feeling right now. Sally must have as well, as she said not a word, made no suggestions. Even the fish in its oblate bowl beside the door seemed to have succumbed, its eyes drifting lazily open and closed as it bobbed and puckered in the cloudy water. The sound came from the front door, rousing us from our stupor. We started and nearly fell out of our chairs, wondering how anyone or anything could have gotten to the door without us seeing. We had done nothing but watch out the front window for hours, after all. But something was there now, and it had crashed into the door with such violence that some of the water in the fishbowl slopped onto the floor at Sally's feet. The door swung open, and the tip of a dripping wet umbrella protruded into view, followed by a thickly furred leg. Frozen in fear and shock, we watched as the beast entered somehow dry as a bone despite the torrential downpour outside. It had something of the form of a man, but was covered in bristling black and white fur. The gaily colored hat on its head and bow on its neck might have been intended to look bright and happy, but there was a strange asymmetry about the creature that denied any sensation but unease when viewing it. With a jerk and a fluid spin on its heel, the beast looked down on us through slitted cat eyes. Now, why do you sit there like that? The voice was like an old gramophone recording, long degraded and poorly maintained, of a very sick man. Sally and I stammered, unable to form a response. We feared our mother at times, and had even felt some small joy when we discovered she was gone that morning, but now we wish dearly she were there with us. The beast was croaking in strangely lyrical cant, rasping admonitions at Sally and I for wasting the day away. He said he had good games we could play, and tricks. He said Mother wouldn't mind if he played with us, that he would show them all to us. I wanted to have something to say. I wanted to have Mother's thundering voice, her terrible shrill tone that made things shrink from it and demanded obedience. But Mother was not there. She was gone for the day. A wet voice that came from the fishbowl was nearly as strange as that of the beasts, but did not inspire the same terror. No! No! It shouted. Our fish, which did not usually talk, and certainly never in the presence of mere children, was cursing, rebuking the beast. It invoked Mother's true name, which made our ears bleed to hear it but did nothing to dissuade the cat-like interloper that pranced madly and sallied about the room, drawing ever nearer to us in the fish with every pass. Have no fear, little ones, said the beast, and it lifted the fishbowl up on its umbrella, balancing the glass vessel on the crooked handle with unnatural deftness. The fish spat water and cursed again, hopping up and down in the bowl, spewing venomous threats if it should fall. Have no fear, repeated the beast, twirling like a dervish and snatching up a book from the table. I will not let you fall. There was a purr and a threat in the words as the beast carried the fish along, tossing and bouncing the heavy book. 
mother's prized grimoire. From hand to hand, swapping it back and forth with the umbrella. Still balancing the fishbowl, it leapt onto a bright ball from a clutch of nearby toys and danced around the room, grabbing more and more items in a mad juggling display. It capered and wheeled to and fro, singing and rhyming and chuckling as it added to the chaos of chattel around it. Bottles of milk, a little toy man, a cup and saucer, even an entire cake that Mother had baked and coldly warned us to stay well away from. Then, in the peak of his frenzied acrobatic display, the beast suddenly collapsed, sprawling on the floor. The sound of shattering glass and splintering wood deafened Sally and I as we pressed our backs to the wall, unable to look away from the destruction. Our fish wriggled in the air as it flew from the bowl, landing itself in an open pot of tea on the sideboard and sputtering at the acidic black environment it found itself in. This is not a good game! It blubbered, surveying the mess around the dazed beast. As the intruder gathered itself up, the fish renewed its verbal attack, powerless to the resist of the creature in any other way. It warned darkly what might happen if Mother were to find such discord in her home, and what the fate of any complicit in it might be. You should not be here when our mother is not, fiend! Get out of this house! But the mad Cheshire smile of the beast only returned, wider and showing more teeth than before. But I like to be here. Oh, I like it a lot. The beast purred and assured us he would not leave until he had fulfilled his caprice. He promised there was yet another game that we were to learn, then dashed out the open flapping front door into the storm outside. We didn't have time to dare to hope he would remain gone before he returned a mere instant later. On the beast's shoulders was a massive crate, its lid barely held shut by a flimsy hook and peg that shuddered and rattled as something within it struggled to escape. I could bear it no longer, and covered mine and Sally's eyes, but the beast slammed the crate before us. Now you look at this trick, he said. When we only closed our weeping eyes harder, he raised his voice to a piercing caterwaul. Take a look! With another spring-heeled bound, the beast jumped atop the crate and growled that there were two things in the box that we would have to see for the game to be complete. You will like these two things, he said with a mocking bow. Then he sweetly promised the things would not bite us, but that they were fun. Having seen this insane Catman's idea of fun, we were not reassured. With a gloved hand, the beast knocked aside the hook and the things rushed out. Moving faster even than the agile beast, they were upon us in an instant, crossing the room in a single bound. The things were squat, gibbering creatures, clad in dyed hessian sacks, their face mercifully only partially visible under their unkempt mops of ropey hair. They slavered and quivered before us, and the beast bid us shake their hands in a perverse imitation of civility. Too afraid to refuse, we gripped the cold, rough paws of the things in a trembling grip. No! No! The fish cried again a hollow voice of reason in the growing insanity around us. It screeched and entreated us to rid the house of the things, lest Mother find them upon her return and be displeased. These things should not be! 
the fish quavered. The beast gripped the teapot, holding the fish in one gloved hand, loathsomely stroking the heads of the things with the other, as he muttered reassurances to us all. They are tame. Oh my, ever so tame, the beast said. And then the things began their game. I cannot say I long for clearer memories of what followed. I don't think there is sense or satisfaction of my many lingering questions to be found in it. I remember the kites flying as the things ran to every corner of the house, dragging them behind and tearing ragged strips in the walls. The plaster stripped away to bare laths, looking like narrow teeth and dozens of pained grimaces. The fish screamed and screamed as the things tore Mother's new gown out of the closet. But for the longest time, all that could be heard was the rending of wood, the breaking of crockery, and the insane laughter of the beast. Then the fish's voice took on a desperate, reedy tone that cut through the cacophony. Look! Look! It slapped its clawed fin against the wall next to the window, calling our attention to the front walkway, now partially revealed by the abating rain. Mother was coming. The fish's indignation turned to wanton fear as it heard the hammer blow snap of her heels on the pavement. It mewled and wept and begged us, the only unbound creatures in the house, to do something, anything, before Mother found her domain in tatters. My rat-catching net was in reach, hurled from the closet and laying in a heap of rusty traps and half-empty cans of poison. I snatched it up, hurriedly assuring Sally that I could catch the things and save us. With nothing but the wrath of mother in my mind, I rushed to the things and slapped the net over them both, catching them as they crossed paths. How they writhed and shrieked and tried to tear themselves free! The woven wire of the rat catcher cut their hands and faces as they bucked and struggled, but I bore down with all my might. With the courage of desperation, I turned to the beast and screamed for him to take them away, echoing the threats of the fish. With a raise of the beast's hand, the things went silent and ceased trying to escape. Oh dear, the beast said in a flat, almost resigned tone. So you did not like our games? That is a shame. Shame, shame, shame. He walked toward me on seemingly boneless legs with his loping, bow-legged stride and dragged the things out from under the net. He crushed them into a pulpy ball between his white-gloved hands, off which the black hissing blood of the things ran like water beating off a leaf, somehow never staining the crisp fabric. They died without a cry, without a word, the same idiot smile plastered across their faces Throwing the ball expertly into the open crate across the room, the beast tutted and whispered to himself as he went away, his wicked face twisted in some approximation of sadness. With no hand guiding it, the door slammed shut behind him. Good, good, the fish exclaimed, rivulets of black tea dribbling off its forehead as though they were beads of nervous sweat. The beast has gone, but mother, Mother is coming. It indicated the total destruction of the house's interior around us with a sweeping motion of its fin. So much mess. We shall not be able to make it right. There is no way. We knew what this meant. 
We knew the fate of bad boys and girls who make messes in mother's house. I held Sally close and wept bitter tears at our impending doom. Have no fear! The beast's voice boomed, suddenly close again. Though the door was still closed, he had materialized in the center of the room. Dozens, hundreds of tendrils of smoky black were extending from his body, each one capped with a white-gloved hand. I will show you one last trick. I dared not look. Sally and I crouched under the front window, our matching chairs between us, and the whirlwind of activity that was happening everywhere beyond our desperately shut eyes. The fish screamed and screamed and screamed as the roar of wind and what sounded like bones rattling in a jug filled our ears. The house shook, the foundations rumbled, and the glass of the window panes screeched in their settings as the world warped and folded around us. And then, it was silent. That is that, came the voice of the beast. We opened our eyes just in time to see him slide out the door, tipping his hat to us as he left. The house and everything broken had been restored. The air still hummed with the aftermath of what had been wrought and undone in so short a time. The fish drifted lazily in its bowl once more, but its eyes were wide open and staring. It would never speak again for the rest of its short life, and Mother soon replaced it with a handsome pair of fish, one red and one blue. She was before us, her dark eyes studying ours from impossibly high above. Though the top of our heads came to just above her knees, Mother was so tall we were never able to see her face. Mother is special like that, oh so special. She asked us in a booming voice, a voice like lightning splitting a mountain, what we had done with ourselves on that wet, wet, cold day. Sally and I exchanged odd, nervous glances at each other. Should we say what had transpired? What would she do if she knew? I ask you, what would you do? You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. What Would You Do? was written by James Harvey. James Harvey is an academic writing tutor and a stay-at-home dad living in New Brunswick, Canada. When not teaching students to limit their semicolon usage, he enjoys weird fiction, cooking, camping, and being a brilliant role model to his daughter. This episode was narrated by Grant Patrizio. Grant is a voice actor from Los Angeles. For more from Grant, or to connect with him, head to grantpatrizio.com or via his link tree, forward slash grantpatrizio. Link is in the description. Allegra was performed by Rebecca Strazina from the podcast The West London Witch. Jimmy Horace was performed by James Barnett. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. Please support us by leaving a review and a five-star rating. Or tell a friend about us who you think would be interested in the many stories that we tell. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.